and welcome to On Campus on this Monday afternoon, where we go inside your college campus and get insight from you, the fans. I'm your host, Jerry Mackman, and I hope you all had a better Saturday than A&M and Pitt fans. Last week, the AP had an interesting article out about the surge of collectives, or nonprofits as some call them, in paying players. And you want to know what team's picture was front and center? Texas. Of course, you know, when everybody thinks Texas, you know, they think all the money in the world, you know, and they've got the collectives, you know, they got the horns for hard, and they've got, you know, like three others. But anyways, uh, this article also raises some interesting questions about the collectives themselves. The main one, is it just there to give the athletes money and give schools a tax break? This, of course, has led to Congress deciding to get involved with NIL legislation led by Senator John Thune, a South Dakota Republican, and Senator Ben Cardin, um, a Democrat from Maryland. This law would, if passed or even brought to the Senate floor or even brought to the House floor, would eliminate tax deduction for individuals and for, and for specific contributions that are then paid to athletes for NIL deals. Thune and Cardin said that they don't want to restrict NIL deals, but rather protect taxpayer funds. Here's my take. I thought NIL was supposed to be about something free from regulation and free from the tyranny of the NCAA. These conflicts surrounding NIL should be dealt with by representatives from the schools and their conferences. Not, not the government, not that the government or the, or the NCAA, you know, I appreciate them trying to help to find a solution, but this doesn't necessarily impact you. It impacts athletic departments, and it impacts players, and it impacts the players' families. We've all seen what happens when the sports and politics collide, and it's not good. They both have their own separate places and purposes, and quite frankly, let's just keep it that way. All right, so moving on to our Week 5 recap in college football. Number 7 Oklahoma State at now unranked Baylor. The Cowboys showed up big time in the first half, but even when Baylor and Blake Chapin turned on the Jets in the third quarter, Oklahoma State special teams responded with a 98-yard touchdown to the house and another big return down the Baylor 40-yard line. What I also like from Oklahoma State is that they were 5 of 5 on red zone trips. That's something that will come in handy as they head down the rest of the season. I thought Oklahoma State would pull this one out, but they showed that they were the better team in Waco and are in a good position right now in the race to Arlington with a sneaky Texas Tech team up next. What I didn't like, though, was some of Dave Random's calls to go for it aggressively on fourth down, like when they had it fourth and five on Oklahoma State's 10-yard line down by 14. Just take the points. Instead, you went for it and you failed. But you know what? Give Baylor's offense credit. They fought back in the second half and turned around and came and a fan base that I thought was going to be long gone after three quarters. But quite frankly, if anything really needs to change for Baylor, it's their defense and their special teams. They cannot allow big returns on kickoffs like they did on Saturday. Those were a momentum killer and certainly didn't help your defense as they hadn't been able to stop anybody all day. Now moving on to an ACC showdown was in prime time. Game day was there. NC State at Clemson. You know, I had the Tigers by 14 in this one, but it turned out to be Clemson by 11. So, I mean, hey, you know, I'll take it. I was pretty close. But the Tigers showed that they were ready for another big-time opponent, and they kept their playoff hopes alive for the ACC. DJ and the offense showed, showed that they were ready to roll again. And while, look, DJ was not perfect. You know, he was 21-30 for 209 yards and a touchdown. But he was able to take some of the pressure off of the normally shaky, but, you know, hey, they turned it around this game, the Clemson defense. The big reason, though, that Clemson was able to win this game is because of their offensive line. That big score early in the third quarter to put Clemson up by 14 took all the energy and momentum away from NC State. NC State, they had an opportunity to show the college football world what they're about, and they failed. Even the headline in the Raleigh newspaper the next day said that there was no joy in Wolfpack land. 
While NC State will make a bowl game, I was disappointed that this game was not as competitive as I thought it was going to be. But the real question NC State fans have to ask themselves is, is Dave Doran get a leave NC State for someplace else? Possibly Nebraska, Wisconsin, or any other jobs that open up as the coaching carousel starts a, starts an increase here in the midway point of the season. Because this NC State team is about to go back to the way that they used to be, which if you don't remember, was completely unbearable. Now moving on to what I thought was a very interesting game. I did not have this game highlighted at all, but it turned out to be very interesting. Georgia at Missouri. Tell you what, it is getting really hard for Missouri fans to just get up out of bed in the morning and move on with their lives. A loss in overtime against Auburn where all you have to do is make a chip shot to win it, but that didn't work. And then all you have, and then when you have nobody in front of you, you still manage to lose the ball? Come on now. Then they go out and play the number one team in the country to the wire. Honestly, this game had some had at, at times had some week two Texas Bama flashbacks. Missouri fought hard to give, you know, and give them credit. Yeah, but settling for three instead of going for the touchdowns, it came back to haunt you. I think at one point, Georgia had two turnovers, and all Missouri had to show for it was three points. A lack of execution by the Missouri coaching staff. Now, Georgia, they started out flat again. I thought they would have cleared up any issues in the sloppy 39-22 win over Kent State a week ago. But I was wrong. For example, Georgia only had 33 yards rushing. In comparison to last week, they had 257 yards on 41 carries from six players, including quarterback Stetson Bennett. Georgia's defense also took a hit with a loss of projected first-round pick Jalen Carter, leaving the game in the first half. CBS Sports ranks Carter as the number six pick in this upcoming NFL draft. However, a win is still a win for Georgia, but they still need to clean up these issues and fast if they want to win a natty. Missouri, again, you got to finish games and you got to execute. Their team does have the pieces to compete in the SEC. Now you got to prove it. Moving on to our week six preview in college football. Now this game, it doesn't necessarily have all the hype building up to it, but when this game is done, it's going to be talked about. Texas at Oklahoma, Red River Rivalry, Cotton Ball Stadium, State Fair, Dallas. Going back to 2014, this game has been decided by a score or less. The atmosphere at the Cotton Ball, I mean, it's quite frankly, it's like anything else in college football, and quite frankly, all the sports as well. You got half burn orange, you got the half crimson, you got the State, of Texas, State Fair of Texas right outside with all the delicious fried food and all the fried Oreos and the races and the Fletcher's corn dogs, as well as the biggest auto show in the state of Texas. And look, now I can spend all the time talking about analysis from OU and Texas' previous games or how they'll stack up against each other. But honestly, what I've learned in my 12 years of going to the Cotton Bowl is that it's always a dogfight down to the last second. Those rankings and records, your first-round draft picks, your Heisman candidates, your coach remembers your NIL deals, all that goes out the window every second Saturday in October in Dallas. Now, you know, I heard some radio, local radio guys here on the horn, you know, do a comparison, you know, that they said, well, yeah, sure, you know, OU doesn't look that great, but, but you know, the last time that OU didn't look this great and, you know, came with a backup quarterback, you know, we all know what happened fourth and one, Caleb Williams took it to the house. So, you know, Oklahoma, they still could do something. You know, I mean, this is still a team that could still do a lot of things. Texas, they're a team that, you know, you come off that win against West Virginia, but you don't, I mean, I don't really feel confident enough to trust Texas. You know, I mean, because everybody thinks, oh, hey, you know, they, hey, you know, they finally got, you know, a, a solid win, you know, after a tough loss, you know, maybe they'll be able to turn it around. That has not been the case in these last couple of years. Again, I don't really know what's going to happen in this game because that's just all I know is it's going to be close. So if I were you, I would not go, I would not go call your bookie and place bets on this game. I would just watch it and see how it turns out. Now, our next game here, it's going to be a fun one in South Bend, BYU at Notre Dame. 
Notre Dame, they're fresh off a of bye week and two straight wins. BYU is coming off a beatdown against Oregon, and then last Thursday night, a much closer than expected win against Utah State. BYU did gain leading wide receiver Gunnar Romney back for the Utah State game, so he should be a threat. What this game, though, is, is going to come down to is can BYU shake off the rust and play consistent good, solid football and handle a hostile environment? They've already shown how they are on the road. While BYU is better on paper, something about this game, it just screams upset. And Notre Dame, I don't know, they just got, they kind of got something going right now. So you know what I'm going to say, Irish by touchdown. Now this one, this game is probably not going to be talked about a lot. But, you know, when I was looking at it, I just, just kind of thought, you know what, this game's going to be pretty close. Tennessee at LSU. Tennessee, they're the better team on paper. They're coming off a thrilling win against Florida, 38-33. And quite frankly, I love the intensity and consistency that Tennessee is playing with on both sides of the ball. Now, LSU does like the strength of schedule that Tennessee has. Tennessee, you've already played in a hostile environment with Pitt in Week 2. And they won. And Tennessee also played Florida in a and Tennessee also played Florida in a thriller. While Tennessee struggled towards the end of that game, they finished and they fought. LSU, on the other hand, lacks a strength of schedule. They're only two, I mean, honestly, at this rate, I would even call them meaningful opponents, Florida State and, and Mississippi State. Now the question is, how will LSU and Brian Kelly perform in a high noon showdown in Death Valley? They have the home field advantage, but Tennessee has played in tough environments like this before. Tennessee's offense, well, that'll be the key to winning this game as they have the number one scoring offense in the SEC with 559 yards per game and 48, averaging 48 points. Now LSU is probably going to be is possibly going to be without Jaden Daniels. Even if Daniels come back, his rushing ability, which has been his biggest strength so far, won't be there. Expect LSU to make some things interesting in the first half, but the Vols will shut down the crowd and the momentum in the second half. Rocky top by 14. Now moving on to a game that, again, you know, I'm kind of going you know, with these games that, you know, not, not necessarily weren't high to try to bring these other teams to light, but this one, this is going to be a fun one. TCU at Kansas, undefeated Big 12 teams. My wish of college game day in Lawrence comes, comes true, although it's two weeks later, but I'll take it. Kansas and Jalen Daniels come into this game with the nation's fifth-ranked offense. However, Kansas, they've looked very, very good this year. Okay, Now, it was concerning to see a setback against a subpar Iowa State team. Now, you know, hey, you won the game, but you really shouldn't have. I mean, Iowa State missed three field goals. Two of them were chip shots. Now, Kansas will have the momentum factor with game day there and most likely a sellout crowd and with a chance and with a win to become bowl eligible. Now, Kansas, they need to regroup with their offense and create a new game plan. TCU, on the other hand, one of the surprises of last week, they looked incredible. Max Duggan played played in what I think was his best game as a Horn Frog. The defense was very good as well, shutting down Dylan Gabriel and Eric Gray left and right. Now, what remains to be seen is, was last week's game a result of TCU being really good or OU being really bad and not ready to play? I said last week that Venables would have them ready to play. I guess he did. I think TCU is the better team on paper, and I expect them to make a statement on a national level. Frogs by three. Now moving on to this week in NIL. Members of the Minnesota football team are getting a deal with Dinky Town Athletes. You know, I talked about collective, collectives earlier, but what's interesting about this collective is that it has the full support of the Minnesota Athletics Department and head coach B.J. Fleck. Dinky Town Athletics was co-founded by former Gophers offensive lineman Derek Burns and Rob Gag, a lifetime supporter of the Minnesota program. This collective will work with Gopher student-athletes to connect them with to connect them to the community for NIL deals that will include payments. The collective says it already has around 60 student-athletes from various sports sign. P.J. Flex said in a statement, It's incredibly important for the future of our program, important for college football and all student-athletes. I can't say enough how important this is, Flex said. So I'm calling on our donors, 
boosters, our fans, our alumni, anybody that has, supports our program to really look at this collective. Now moving on to our last segment this week, and that is failures of the week. And our first one, he makes a repeat on this list. Brent Venables. You know, I thought Brent would have Oklahoma ready to play against TCU, but clearly he didn't. OU looked dazed and confused all game and never had an answer for Max Duggan in the offense. He comes into a showdown in Dallas with Texas, looking to avoid an 0-3 start in conference play for the first time in decades. Our next one, this kind of comes as a surprise to me, Wisconsin and Paul Christ. Wisconsin season, it just keeps going from bad to worse with a loss on Saturday and a 2-3 record. Now, they just fired longtime head coach Paul Christ yesterday who had multiple big time who had multiple big ten title game appearances and a few Rose Bowl appearances as well. Honestly though I'm not really sure what has gone wrong in Madison and I think that the firing of him was a bit of was a bit of an overreaction. But bottom line Wisconsin needs to rally around their interim head coach and fast. Alright for all of us here at on campus, I'm Jerry McMahon and may you soak in all the football games this weekend. <laughs> <laughs>